Welcome to the Recovery Lab, sponsored by Elevation Medical. Today's special guest is with Dr. Eric Herman. We had a really fun conversation talking about patient behavior patterns and where they're going and how it's evolving throughout this COVID situation. He's a veterinary surgeon out of Gainesville, Florida, and he really specializes on finding minimally invasive services to best treat your pets. So he looks at the whole pet holistically and doesn't think about, you know, doing surgery first. He looks for other options. You know what? This is one of those things that wasn't a plan, wasn't a scripted conversation, but man, I loved where it went. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Dr. Eric Herman. But now I think that's going to force that mass, you know, group of people to really say, hey, I'm just not going to settle for whatever my doc writes the script for. I'm going to go to Amazon. I'm going to go to Goods RX, and I'm going to see who has the cheaper prices, you know? And that's something that we just haven't done in healthcare, which is, which is I think this is some, all of what COVID is doing and kind of forcing yeah. everyone to kind of move around a little bit differently. So it's going to be interesting. Stuff has really been changing up how we go about it for sure. Because yeah. uh, like the online stuff has been going on now for like the last five, 10 years. Uh, like Chewy and all that stuff to where yes, yeah. 1-800-PET-MEDS and stuff like that. So I think it's going to make veterinarians a little bit smarter from the business standpoint because for too long, we set up the practice incorrectly. Hmm. We, they set it up as, as a pharmacy and as more like merchandise instead of charging for what you went to school for so long for. Like I see it all the time where people are giving away free exams. Hmm. Well, you're devaluing the profession, but then they charge out the wazoo for their drugs. And then they wonder why owners get frustrated because they're like on Chewy, this batch of antibiotics is like $9. From you, it's $23. From Publix, it's free. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with public. I know Cindy is, but Publix is just a grocery store, but they do free antibiotics for certain antibiotics and it's a two week regimen. So I look at it a little bit differently. I didn't go to school to become a pharmacist. Yes, I know pharmaceutical aspects of it because you have to, but I didn't become a pharmacist or, and I'm not a salesman. And so my goal is to say, well, I went to school for this long to know the science of these diseases and how can I make this better? So I would much rather just write you a script. I don't have to keep that drug on my shelf then. I don't have that inventory. So fine, go to Chewy, go wherever you want to get it cheaper. It makes it so that I don't have to waste time or staff to go looking for it. I think you bring up a great point, man. I mean, like, you know, this wasn't what I planned to kind of talk about, but I'm excited to kind of, you know, <laughs> at least press into it because, you know, talking about what's happening right now, like looking forward to, 2021 like where is it going not so much to where do we want it to go like on one side of the table i kind of view us as all being on the same side right you know the yeah. all the different tools that are out there modalities docs we're all kind of playing together or we should be but then what does the patient really want and i think that the patient is asking for something totally different than what we've been bringing to them over the past decades and now i've only been in this space for about five years or so but you know once i look at it i'm like man the patients want transparency. The patients want convenience. The patients want education, right? <laughs> you know, like they want, they want trusted people in their corner. And so what's your thoughts about how, of, of, of what the patients are really asking for these days? Uh, I try to 
actually stalk on Facebook. Sounds creepy, but um, (laughs) so I'm a member of a bunch of uh, pet owner groups and I don't talk on them, uh, but I actually do that in order to hear the truth about what they're wanting. Hmm. Um, Because what they tell us to our face is very different than what they're saying on Facebook and things. Uh, and so I do a ton of ACL repairs and fracture repairs and things like that. So there's a lot of different uh, ACL groups or dogs with torn cruciate ligaments. Um, and it's nice to be able to sit on there and find out what are your frustrations? What, what's hindering you with the physical therapy at home aspect? Is it just keeping your dog quiet? Is the dog trying to bite you when it, you do the exercises? Um, or are you having problems with like figuring out what's good bedding? Um, so you hear amazing things that are completely unfiltered on Facebook because when people are behind a keyboard, there's no filter. Um, so they're superheroes and can say what they want. Um, So for good and bad, uh, but it's great resource to be able to find out what, what are these problems? And then that helps me to know when I'm talking with owners, what do they feel is important? And then I can hit those in the initial consultation. So I can say, like, I know that you're not going to want to have your dog off the bed, but here's some ways to make this happen. So, and it's short term. So, so we can work with them on that. Man, you know, I got to say, I I try to do a couple interviews a, a week at least. And it's the first time I've heard a doc talk about doing market research the way you're the way that you just did i mean like going and listening to your patients oh man i mean i mean it's so simple but that's the beauty of it right because right. i mean because they're laying out exactly what you want them to say to your face but maybe they don't have the courage they don't feel like they want to or they're just not in the mood to even open up whatever the case may be um, and, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's such a simple thing to do because <laughs> all of us have Facebook accounts, whether we use them or not, I don't use mine yeah. that much, but, but yeah, it makes too much sense. Yeah. I, I think you get that unfiltered response. Um, and I think it depends on really what, why'd you get into everything too? Mm-hmm. And, uh, the human animal bond is a big portion of why I got into veterinary medicine and then. Within that, I started to learn because I, I love surgery. I love figuring out how does something work and then how can I take something apart and put it back together again to make it functional. And that's where rehab comes into play too because they, they work very much simultaneously and synergistically. Uh, but I think when you look at the human-animal bond, a lot of people look at their dog not being able to move around and that's a huge deal to them. They feel like their dog is suffering if it cannot move around and live its normal life. And so my whole career goal is to figure out how can we make pets move around better? Because if they're having problems where they're limping or they're getting around too slow or they can't even get up and move around, period, then my goal is to figure out how can I take what's wrong with them first figure out what's wrong with them and then sometimes that takes different diagnostic methods but then once you figure out what's wrong with them how in a multimodal approach can we make this work is it something where an invasive method like surgery is the best or is it a rehabilitation method 
that's the best and you don't have to cut anything. So I actually get frustrated owners sometimes when they're sent to me for a surgery and then I'm telling them, I wouldn't do surgery in my own dog for this. I would recommend that you do this, this, and this from a rehab perspective. And honestly, if you go through all this, there's a good chance that you don't need any surgery. And they're like, but we were sent to you as a surgeon. Why, why are we being told to do rehab? I'm like, right. because that's more minimally invasive than surgery. And so even with surgery, I try to be as minimally invasive as possible. So that's why I do so much arthroscopy and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but from rehab, that's even more minimally invasive than what surgery is. So why would you not choose that option? I mean, Doc, honestly, it, it means a ton coming from you. I mean, from, from someone, you know, and, and one of the running jokes that we have, right, on the whole rehab side is that if, if you give someone a straight hammer, everything's a straight nail, right? So, yeah. you know, like, if you, if you go talk to most surgeons, like, hey, I got my scapula, I'm ready to go to work, you know, or whatever it is. If you, if you come and talk to me, I'm like, hey, shockwave is your way, you know, like, you know, like, like, everybody has their tool, everybody has their route, but it's so, it's so nice to hear that, hey, you know, maybe my, normally, maybe my way of going about it isn't the best way for you at the moment, because it's not always the case, dude. You should, have a, you should totally have a straight podcast talking about this type of stuff. People just need to hear about it more, man. Well, it's, it's in the works. <laughs> oh, nice, 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 man. I might have to hit you up for some guidance because I hear that you're yeah. the best. Well, I mean, I'm just one of like 100,000 people doing it. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> but the more you do it, you learn what works and what doesn't. So I, I appreciate that. So. Yeah, man. I mean, honestly, anytime we can totally talk offline because there's a whole bunch of easy ways to go about doing it. But once it comes to talking about surgery, what's some of the most common things that you're seeing right now? Uh, I see a ton of ACL tears or uh, in dogs, technically it's the cranial cruciate ligament as opposed to an anterior cruciate ligament. But I always try to talk in as simple terms as possible. Uh, so uh for dogs, definitely ACL tears, luxating patellas, fractures, um, and elbow dysplasia. Those are probably the biggest things that I see. Um, but then you get into other joint issues too, like hip dysplasia. I, I still see it, but I would say the dogs that get sent to me for hip dysplasia, frequently they're misdiagnosed and it's actually an ACL tear. Uh, and so then I deal with that instead. Or a lot of times, yeah, they'll have hip dysplasia, but they've been doing just great. And all of a sudden they're acutely lame. It may be an iliopsoas or a groin pole. So. Interesting. So, so, so how does that get misdiagnosed so much? I mean, it's, it seems like two, two things that, um, that don't run hand in hand, at least me coming from the outside here. Um, I think that some of it is not doing the tricks. Uh, not knowing the tricks for diagnosis. So I actually have uh, a couple of lectures on orthopedic and neurologic exams uh, from my perspective that make things easier. So um, for, for example, uh, if you take a look at a 120 pound Rottweiler, those dogs have way bigger back leg muscles than what my upper body strength is. I mean, I would like to say that I work out more than what I actually do, but I don't. So um, that's where it, you have to think smarter than, than just trying to beast them. And so if, and if you look at cranial drawer, 
you're trying to have a hand on the lower femur and on the tibia and just grind it back and forth there. Well, I'm sorry, but most of these Rottweilers are way more powerful than I am. And so if you think about it from just a physics standpoint, cranial tibial thrust is way smarter. So dogs have a pretty high slope to the top of their tibia in general. And so if you kind of palm the lower part of their femur over the front part, and then you have your index finger down on their uh, point of their tibia, the tuberosity, and then you just flex their hock back and forth, hmm. then even a 225 pound mastiff if they have a complete ACL tear, you're gonna get a lot of cranial tibial translation there. And where the shin is moving forward in relationship to the thigh pretty easily there. And it, I've seen, I learned a lot of these tricks from very petite female surgeons. And so they had very profound impact on how I approach surgery from bending bone plates to standing in surgery, et cetera. It's, it's all about ergonomics and trying to work smarter instead of just brute force for everything. I love that, man. <laughs> I love that because you know what, um, talking about what's changing in this moment, I think people are trying to figure out how to be smarter, yeah. right? You know, like, I mean, I mean, the people that are trying to innovate during this moment are not thinking like, how do I just do more of what I've been doing, right? And maybe brute force the way through life. It's more of, is there a smarter way to apply this? Or is there others, has somebody else already done this in like a different space that I can learn from, right? So that's really yeah. cool that you kind of brought those other docs that kind of helped train you on that. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, so I'm very fortunate with how the people that I have interacted with along the training aspect i i am immensely grateful for them so well so you, you know um as a surgeon right i mean like what's some of the most challenging things that you have to overcome with trying to choose between rehab and and actually doing actual surgery is it resistance from the patients to actually want to move forward with the rehab or most people are like hey i'd rather just go ahead let's go do the surgery or is it people looking for the rehab i'm just curious kind of what's what you're kind of seeing out there? With diseases that can be treated both ways, I think it, some of it is a time thing. Uh, I got into surgery initially because I liked to fix things and then have a very high percentage chance that they got better and then you're done. Mm -hmm. um, I, I hate managing things like diabetes, like lifelong management things for me. That is like, shoving an ice pick in my eye. Um, so <laughs> I hate that. But I work with internists who yeah. love that. And that's why I really love working with them because they hate surgery. I hate internal medicine, but we have people in our lives that love it. And so you team up and it makes for a wonderful opportunity for our patients. Um, but for me, that's why I got into surgery initially. And so if there's times where I can fix things and get them through a short period and then they're great, then that's wonderful. But that comes with a fairly hefty price a lot of the time. Mm. And there's some owners that absolutely cannot do that. And so I try to help with ways that you can, but I'm not the owner of my hospital. I don't have a say in that price. So sometimes I have to go through rehab options when really I wish that I could do surgery because then it would ultimately just be finished. 
But then in other routes, uh, I try to do rehab first because there's a good chance that with enough rehab, then that will take care of the problem. For example, uh, like if you have medial shoulder instability where part of the joint capsule is broken down with the ligament that goes down the joint capsule there, then if that is strained and just kind of frayed a little bit, that can be a very significant cause of lameness. But a lot of those, if you manage them with like platelet-rich plasma injections into the shoulder, laser therapy, sometimes shockwave therapy, I prefer shockwave therapy over that while they're sedated for their PRP because we've also found that it can enhance the PRP release. And so that's my preferred method. Um, but then also something as simple as a neoprene vest that just keeps their elbows up against their body nice and tight. That is a time-consuming process, but if I can keep that, o that patient out of an OR with that, then that's a success. So it, it sometimes can be trying, but I think that's the part, the timeline is what most owners are more hesitant to go the rehab route because they have to bring their dog back more frequently or they have to do more at home and they just, they have hectic lives and we're saying, okay, go home and four times a day, do all these exercises. They're like, that's not my full-time job. I've got stuff to do. I have kids or whatever that may be. Like they just don't have time for that. Um, and I'm in, I mean, yeah, Gainesville, Florida is a, a city technically, um, but it's nothing like Manhattan or Chicago or New York um, or New Jersey with like, the multiple places outside of Philly, you have these metropolitan areas where people have to drive a good distance and they're okay with that. Mm -hmm. But in this rural area, people don't like driving. So if I had people just driving like 30 minutes away, which is from technically a separate city, they don't like coming in weekly for 30 minute appointments with that. So they don't want to drive 30 minutes to an hour, two hours or whatever, and be there for 30 minutes for rehab. So, um, that's the biggest thing. But then the cost wise for surgery is why they don't want to do surgery most of the time. So you're, you're either going with cost or you're dealing with time. I think that's a really good way to kind of look at it. Both of them kind of come with their own separate challenges, right? Like where, where, you know, you are going to have to make that time investment because we have people wanted to be like, all right, rehab process starts, boom, we're out of here next week, <laughs> you know, back to living my life. But uh, unfortunately, it takes a little bit more commitment than that. Um, and obviously, trying to do surgery, is, it's just time. I mean, it's, it's very costly, right? I mean, this is hard, yeah. to get, hard to get through doing surgery for anything less than, um, than what one or two sessions of like rehab might even come up to, right? And, I mean, so thinking about Shockwave with PRP, I'm just curious, like, What's your overall um, process with like doing that? Is it something where you do shockwave first before you do the PRP injections? Or are you guys doing any type of like, um, you know, exosomes as well or any other type of stem cells? Just yeah, I, I do stem cell therapy too. I predominantly use PRP because of when I'm seeing most of these patients um, mm -hmm. just in the disease process. I more commonly, uh, and I know people that do this differently than I do, but I typically will do PRP in more mild to moderate um, diseases. And then when I get into severe osteoarthritis, that's when I go more stem cell route. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely know people that 
do that very differently than I do. They hit stem cells a lot faster than what I do, um, but I've just had good success with PRP. And so that's why I typically will go that route. Uh, but if I'm doing laser and shockwave in the same PRP session, then I'll do laser uh, after I draw off the blood and they're spinning it down. And then I inject the PRP and then I do the shockwave after. So, okay, cool. So that, that's how I do it. Um, <laughs> no, 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 you know what I mean? Um, I think that there isn't a whole lot of hard research that I could find out there in the web about it. So I think it's more of an art form about kind of what you're seeing is as far as you getting positive outcomes with it. So if it's working, then that's all that counts, man. <laughs> you know? Exactly. So. Yeah. So, so talking about some other tools that you use, because you already mentioned laser. Is it like a um, class four laser that you're using? Yeah, class four. Um, I, I use the companion laser. Yep. Um, and then now, uh, with the help of Cindy, we have the um, Pisa wave to be able to use that. And then uh, outside of that, it's a lot of manual manipulation, balance balls, things like that. Uh, and of course, Cavaletti's, but I don't have an underwater treadmill. And that's one thing I would really like to have just many orthopedic procedures as I do underwater treadmill would be fantastic to try to get that muscle mass back faster. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I, I would say that's, that's, definitely has become one of those staples it seems like having that actual underwater tread but you know I'm, I'm really curious about how you mix in laser and like shockwave because i know a lot of people have lasers and people are trying to figure out what's the right mix to bake in doing shockwave therapy with the laser what's been what's been your whole um process or at least thoughts on how you kind of use them in conjunction i think it depends on what you're going for um like for example i have a dog that um both of his front legs are just train wrecks. Uh, he has pretty severe angular limb deformities. And so we did angular limb deformity correction for part of it, but we couldn't fix everything because of how malaligned the joint is. And so his, his radial head has been luxated and he's over a year and a half old. So mm -hmm. the cartilage has all remodeled. And so if I went and put that radial head back into the elbow joint, then it's that dog's never going to walk correctly, um, even if I did that. And so for that reason, I corrected the ulna so that way it got out to the proper length of the radius. And then when we were trying to get that bone to heal, I was using shockwave over the ulna where I did my osteotomy. And then also within the uh, ulna or ulna slash uh, elbow joint for the fragmented coronoid process that was there. And then that was managing just that focal part. And then his muscles were so tense throughout his recovery period. So I was actually lasering from his carpus to his shoulder consistently. So just kind of going over all of those muscles, just because if I would have done shockwave through that, all of those muscles, I'd been sitting there for honestly way too long. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, I was just using the laser and that helped loosen up the muscles really well. Uh, and then the shockwave was more so used for the pain relief in the elbow joint and then also to help speed that bone healing in the ulna there. Therapeutic ultrasound would have been a good option too for the muscles, but I just don't have that. That would be another good one to have. Makes tons of sense, man. So pretty much you're, you're more so having that laser go over that mid belly muscle work that you're doing 
yeah. uh, and then you use the actual shockwave right into the actual joint line. Is that yeah, correct? exactly. I was using along the joint capsule insertions mm -hmm. and then at the osteotomy as well. Uh, and then I'm using the laser over most of the muscle bellies. Love that, man. Love that. So, so you know, I'm, I'm just curious about timelines. How fast before you start using the actual laser and like shockwave post-surgery? Um, is, it, is it weeks or is it days as far as timeline-wise? Uh, some of it depends on when they can come back. Uh, I inject every incision I make that is non-cancerous or non-infectious with Noceta, which is three-day liposomal bupivacaine. And we found that shockwave does not change that. It's okay. It, you can release some of it from the liposomes, but it doesn't make it ineffective. And so I, I'm working on a TPLO study right now, and we are shocking those patients right after the surgery. Um, so I don't mind doing that. Um, but then as far as laser goes, we have proven that laser will inhibit the noceta. And so for those, we always wait at least four days after. Most of the time it ends up just because of timing, like a week. Sure. So. Well, I mean, I mean, just because you kind of brought up this whole study, now I'm curious. Uh, can you actually talk about this study a little bit yet, or is it still too early? Yeah, uh, well... You can, can always tell me hell no, too, Joe. But I can always way. talk about it, but we, the results so far are being pretty cool. We're trying to prove the, the efficacy of the PISA wave, and we're looking at some of the other shockwave studies that have been performed. We're trying to improve the bone healing compared to if you didn't do any shockwave therapy. So there's a good number of TPLOs that are done in the country because ACL tears are the number one orthopedic injury that we have to deal with. And so with that aspect, we can use it as a model for a lot of these things. And so uh, Dr. Nina Kievs did a paper on showing the bone healing can be improved with shockwave. And other studies have looked at patellar tendonitis, post-TPLO, or range of motion of the joint capsule. So the part of what I'm looking at is kind of a combination of all of those, seeing can we make the bone heal faster? Can we decrease the chances of having patellar tendonitis? Can we improve joint range of motion, et cetera? So, so far, especially the range of motion has improved drastically. So... Love that, man. Well, you know what? I look forward to kind of checking out that whole study once it does drop eventually, man, because, um, you know, that, that's one of the biggest challenges. Of, that's one of the biggest challenges that we have is really trying to have enough science to back up some of the outcomes that we're seeing with our eyes, right? Like, you know, you can treat someone. And the best part about your industry is that, you know, your patients don't lie. I work with a lot of humans that can say, oh, I feel better or no, you know, things were going good either way. And a lot of times, especially a lot of the athletes I work with, it's like mental thing not to kind of want to just say that you're, that this tool has helped you. It's more so like I willed myself, right? You know, yeah. and you have that whole thought process. But with your patients, there is no lying. It's like, if, he, if, you know, if they feel better, they're going to have a better gait. It just is what it is. They aren't going to start, you know, like, you know, trying to limp it, if there's not any real elements there. So... Really cool to kind of hear about that study coming out though, down the line, man. Yeah, no. uh, I think that hopefully we'll have a lot more uh, down the line too. That's the goal with everything. Uh, but out of all of the modalities that are used in veterinary medicine, I think laser is probably used the most. Yeah. But 
if you look at the number of studies that are published, then Shockwave has more studies published than laser therapy does or from like the pulse electromagnetic fields from therapeutic ultrasound. It has more than any of those. So uh, I think that if you look at the grand scheme of things, that's combining human studies and veterinary studies, but it has a ton of data to back it up. But for whatever reason, I don't think that as many practitioners are aware of it. So it's definitely not something I was taught in vet school. So the only reason I know about it is because of all the years of having rehab exposure. So, love that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to be quite honest with you, I, I still thought that there was more laser studies than what we have. So, that's that's a pretty good insight for myself as well, man. Appreciate that. You know, I'm curious about where you're going next year with your practice. I love the fact that you have this mission of really trying to help animals move better because it just helps out humans. I I really hadn't seen people kind of draw that actual bridge before, but curious about what's next for you. But I mean, this isn't necessarily when I'm going to, but my long-term goal is to set up a practice that's actually all about getting patients to move better. And so uh, that's going to be involving some surgeons as well as sports medicine therapists, as well as neurologists, because those are the three big things that we see. Uh, and so I really want to get that going and be able to team up with some different uh, athlete groups for like agility groups, dock diving, things like that, be able to help out those groups a lot more. So that's really what I want to be working on. And I have a company that I'm trying to do more client educations as well as veterinarian educations that I'll be doing, like you said before, some more podcasts and webinars too. Uh, and some of that's for the pet owners that I've seen on like Facebook and things, some of the problems they're having. I'm trying to address those from a science-based aspect and from an experienced aspect. Uh, so that company is called Kinetic Pets that I'll be launching and getting all that up and running uh, over the next year and a little bit more solidified. Love that, man. Kinetics pets. You know, um, if you don't mind, I would like to kind of throw out just one idea uh, to you. And you probably already thought about it, but I, I just think of a kill. Um, like if you're like on Twitter or on like Facebook and you see, you know, people just throwing around random facts around medicine, like, you know how cool it would be if you shot them like a DM and said, hey, can I use this in my podcast? And you talk about that question and just kind of like back it with science, right? Because I think a lot of things get thrown around just based off of people kind of shooting from the hip, theories, you know, you know what I've heard in the past type of stuff, but not really baked in science, man. I, th I think that would just be great for the whole industry. That's a great idea. I, I haven't thought about that. I use their ideas, um, some of their discussion points in lectures that I give for veterinarians and things, but I haven't thought about that from the podcast aspect. So I, I think that's wonderful. I'll definitely write that one down. Hey, think about it, man. Either way, you know, um, I think more people like yourself being involved in these conversations, adding some actual facts behind it, I think is what we need throughout the whole U.S., man. You might want to run for presidency coming up here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's too many people. Right <laughs> yeah. 2028, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, look, you know, um, Dr. Eric, this is really good talking to you, man. If you don't mind, please tell everybody how to find you, websites, email addresses, if you don't mind kind of sharing that uh, information. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we're actually getting the Kinetic Pets website up and running very shortly. So hopefully in the next few months, we'll be having that uh, live. And it, the goal is to be an educational resource for everything. So, uh, so we'll get that up and running. And then uh, right now I'm working at Blue Pearl Veterinary Par Partners in Gainesville, Florida. Uh, so uh, if you have any hopefully not needing surgery, but if you need me, I'm there. Uh, I, one of the best compliments that I have from clients is when they tell me that uh, they've enjoyed the experience with me, but they hope they never see me again outside of work. That would be the best place. And so not seeing me at the job anymore. So uh, I always appreciate that. If we can fix them and be done, then that's the goal. So. Absolutely, man. hundred percent. I love seeing all my dogs like at the grocery store, <laughs> not yeah. on the job. <laughs> they have lives too. hundred percent. Well, 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 you know what, man, honestly, thank you so much for just taking a moment to kind of join us on a Friday in the afternoon. You know, I know uh, you probably had a busy week like most people, but you know, uh, thank you again for just kind of carving out a moment so we can speak. No, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to let me be on here and hopefully we can get some more talks going and be happy to come back whenever. Absolutely, man. We would love to have you back. All right. Boom. We're out of here. Thank you guys.